0: Hey, I want to start today and read in Luke two, and I'm not going. To, I'm going to read it from my notes because it's hard to hold my Bible and this mic. Uh, Luke two. It's a scripture that is uh, probably the most well known when it comes to telling uh, the Christmas story. This may be a passage that you remember someone in your family sharing uh, at Christmas time, uh, either on Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. Uh, but it's a powerful passage, and I want to read it to you and and uh, and try to. Uh, pull some things today. It says in those days, Caesar Augustus, uh, which was the first Roman uh, emperor, he was known as one of the best, uh, issued a decree that a census would be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. Jewish people during this time did not have to enlist in the Roman army, if you will, uh, but they did have to pay pay taxes, uh, which we can't get out of even today, right? I mean, even today, uh, that's a role that all of us have to play, is you're paying taxes. So Joseph... Uh, he had to go back home. He, they were not living in his hometown in Nazareth at the time. So he had to travel some 70, 80, 90 miles uh, to his hometown, not by car, uh, by some type of wagon or a camel or walking or whatever it may have been, uh, with an eight or nine month pregnant spouse. I, I try to picture myself a couple years ago, my hometown's 118 miles away from this church, uh, that if I told Natalie when she was eight or nine months pregnant with Jude, we got to go home because they're doing a census in Decatur, Indiana, and it's law. And by the way, we got to walk, or we're going to ride a donkey, or you're going to ride in a wagon. If I would hit a bump in the car, uh, it would drive her nuts, you know, when she was eight or nine months pregnant. Can you imagine this scene of Joseph having to, to head home, and it's what he had to do, Uh, He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him, they're engaged at this time, and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time had come uh, for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified, which we would have guessed that. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people, that today in the town of David a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. There's not a whole lot of things in life that bring about more emotion and more joy uh, than a baby be being born. Whether it's your own, whether it's a niece or nephew, whether it's a grandchild, there is great, great joy uh, when a baby comes into the world. I, I can remember for all of them, Knox, Beckham, Jude, right down the line, the joy that we had, the excitement that we had, the hope that we had uh, when they were born. And, and just to think that, man, God has entrusted these little people to us and we have to raise them and, and teach them right and point them to Jesus. It's an incredible, incredible responsibility and it's an incredible, an incredible gift. But something about a baby brings hope to us, right? The idea of getting to pick a name when your family first gets to, to meet them, all the encouraging words and cards that you receive, there's something about a baby that brings joy. And then they get a little bit older, and they start throwing tantrums and fits, and they won't be quiet, and they won't sit down, and they drive you nuts. But when they're a baby, when they're a baby, they bring about, they bring about great joy. They bring about hope, even. I mean, because when you have a little baby, you think about all the stuff that's to come, all the things you'll get to experience with them, all the things that they're going to get to experience, the excitement that they're going to get to have in their life, and that you get to be a part of it is an incredible, incredible thing. And it's why we celebrate all the firsts so well. Uh, I can remember when each one of our boys, they first started to walk. And we would scream and shout and cheer and they'd instantly fall down because they were scared that we were were mad at them, right? Uh, But it was an incredible time. When they first started to share a word, which was dad, every time. Anybody always? It's not. It's not always dad. They would say whatever we would teach them, right? And they mimic what you share. And there's great joy in that. So those first couple of years, you're teaching them to walk, and you're teaching them to talk a little bit. And then the next 17, 18 years, what are you doing? Teaching them to quit talking and sit down and to be quiet. And that's the stage we're in right now because they love to talk, and they're always on the move. But there's something about a baby that brings about great joy, all the first. And for Jesus to show up on the scene the way that he did, that God stepped down and, and walked amongst us, Uh, It was a first. Uh, There was an expectation. There was anticipation of a Messiah one day coming. But if you were to ask the people, if there was an A and a B question, and and you asked them, would you rather a conquering king show up onto the scene and wipe out all the bad guys and and raise God's people to their rightful place, or would you rather a baby show up? They would have always chosen A, right? They would have wanted a conquering king. They would have wanted someone to come and put them in their rightful place in their rightful place. There's something about a baby that brings incredible, incredible joy. Well, today we read about Luke 2, the shepherd, uh, not only at the beginning with Advent candle as well, but then also in this passage. And I think about the shepherds in this moment that they would have known some things about this Messiah to come. They would have known some of the prophecies that were taking place during this time. But they would have never guessed that it would have been revealed to them in the way that it was. Can you imagine... When you're out as a shepherd with your flock, the only light that you probably have is maybe the moon, right? If it's if it's out and it's beaming, maybe some stars. Otherwise, it is it is pitch black. And all of a sudden, an angel, a host of angels, show up to to this shepherd, and and it says he was he was terrified, right? And rightfully so. How many of you like it in the morning when somebody walks into your room? It's pitch black. And they pop the light on, and they're just like, it's time to get up. Anybody, your spouse do that? And it drives you nuts? I don't like instant light, right? Wake me up slowly, and I will come to light. But I don't need the instant light. I think of a terrifying moment. I've shared this story before. uh, But when Natalie and I, we were engaged, probably 2009, I was living in Troy. She was living in Vandalia. It was a terrifying moment for her. We had just bought a car together. And it was an SUV, and some of you had heard this story. Don't blow it before I finish it, all right? And uh, I knew she was going to visit a friend in Troy. Well, I lived in Troy, and I had a key to the vehicle. Um, So I snuck over to the side of town she was on and parked about two streets away. I popped the back hatch to this Jeep Commander, and I sat in the back, and I waited for her to leave her friend's house. And she walks out to her friends, and I'm, they're hugging and saying bye and just full of joy, right? And I think it was near Christmas time because it was cold as all get out in this car. And I'm hiding in the back as low as I can, I can get, and all of a sudden she starts the car and begins to pull down the street. Imagine this, ladies. Drives down the street, and I pop up from the back, and she almost, she was terrified to say the least. And she, she stayed with me. It worked out. Um, but it was a terrifying moment. And I think of the angels, right? Showing up to the shepherds, and when you think of being terrified, have you ever been terrified? She was terrified in that moment. They had no idea that the announcement was not only just going to be an announcement, but they could actually go see, touch, be a part of where this savior, this savior was born. We don't talk about savior a lot, unless it's Christmas time. Uh, maybe we sing some songs throughout the year that throw Savior in the mix, right, at, uh, at various uh, hymns or songs that we sing. But Savior, the shepherd, they knew what Savior meant to them. And Savior's not a big word that we use today. Sometimes you'll hear it within business world, a company that was once great and now they're sinking, right? And they're looking for a Savior CEO, a Savior leader to step up and bring them back to prominence and bring them back to, to financial gain again. We hear it in sports world a lot, a team or an organization or a franchise that was once great, and they're looking for a great GM or that savior player or players or savior front office to make some changes so that they can you know, come back to win some championships again. Teams like the Reds, the Bengals, the Browns, the Cavs, all Ohio teams that are in the professional world are looking for that, right? A savior. But the savior in this story... Is the Savior that we need. He is our Savior. Jesus Christ is our Savior. I don't know if you've studied the fourfold gospel much of what we consider the tenets of of, of our faith with the Christian and Missionary Alliance, but it has a lot to say about Jesus being our Savior. And I want to read just a few of them to you to realize what we have in Jesus as our Savior. Because of Jesus our Savior, we are forgiven. Our guilt is gone. We have peace with God. God's wrath is is satisfied. Because of our Savior, we've been justified. Christ's righteousness is imputed to us. We are new creations. We have eternal life. We've been adopted by God. The Holy Spirit lives in us. Jesus is our advocate. Because we have a Savior, uh, nothing can separate us from His love. The Bible tells us. Jesus is our advocate. Death will have no more sting because Jesus is our Savior. And that we have an inheritance, the Bible says, that will never perish, spoil, or fade. So when we read good news of great joy, a Savior, our Messiah, has showed up onto the scene. What we have in a Savior is absolutely incredible. It's an absolute, an absolute gift. Let me ask it this way, a question. Wouldn't it be terrible if there was something available to you and you didn't know about it? Wouldn't it be terrible if there was something that was for you and, and you just didn't know anything about it? Like the shepherds. They knew about a Savior, but imagine when the angel showed up onto the scene, if, if they would have said, Savior? I don't, I don't need a Savior. I'm going to hang out in the field, right? I'm going to keep watching over my flock. I'm going to keep doing what shepherds do. I'm going to count the stars. I don't need anything to do with this With this Savior? What would it look like for an offer to be on the table, a gift to be given to you, but yet, one, you don't know that you need it, and two, you don't care if you ever receive it? What if on Christmas Day you just wanted one thing, you told your family, All I want is this one thing, I don't need anything else. And as the Christmas presents go around the family and it gets towards the end, you realize, Well, that present never, it never, it's not under the tree, right? It's in the house. You don't know that. It's in a closet somewhere. Someone forgot to put it out. Uh, but that Christmas present that you longed for, it's not there, right? Wouldn't it be terrible if that present was there, but you didn't know it was? And you didn't give any effort to actually find it. What if someone bought you a Christmas gift and it was a lottery ticket? and Somebody else bought it for you because you wouldn't buy a lottery ticket, right? Um, because you're in church, you wouldn't admit that you would buy a lottery ticket. And it's the million-dollar scratch-off and it's in an envelope, and it's for you, and all you had to do is receive that envelope and scratch this thing off, and you've got a million dollars that you've never had before. But you didn't know because the envelope never showed up on the scene. Wouldn't that be a tragedy? I would consider it one. I was trying to think of a story that happened uh, within recent future of uh, what would be a considered a tragedy because the person didn't know that they actually had received something uh, because it was not told to them that they did, and I want to pop this up on the screen, and you can watch this, and I'll tell you what's going on. One of you is about to become our new Miss Universe. If for any reason she is unable to fulfill her duties, the first runner-up will take her place. Good luck to both of you. Miss Universe 2015 is... How many of you know the rest of the story? Steve Harvey completely blew it. These ladies had worked years to get to this spot, to to be crowned Miss Universe, and uh, Steve Harvey grabs the card, he opens it up, and he yells, Miss Columbia. The only problem was, was Miss Columbia didn't win. Uh, Actually, Miss Philippines won. You can pop that up there and watch Steve just eat crow a little bit. (laughs) Okay, folks. Uh, th- there's. I have to apologize. The first runner-up is Colombia. Miss Universe 2015 is Philippines. Talk about a whirlwind of emotions, right? I mean, she went from losing this thing, runner-up to Steve blewett. and now she is the winner. And she had won something she didn't know that she had won. And she had worked so hard, and she finally got what she, what she deserved. We have an incredible gift that was, given, that was given to us. An incredible gift that our Savior has come. He's come into this world so that we can experience right relationship with the Father. We can experience the gift of mercy and grace and forgiveness. We can experience wholeness. What if we didn't know about it? You know, there's many around the world today that that don't understand the need, that don't understand the power of what Jesus can do for them, and I consider that that an absolute tragedy. In verse 9, it says, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. That's what's at our disposal. This is what is given to each one of us, and yet we will settle for something less, right? Instead of sustaining joy, instead of real joy, instead of God-honoring joy that He wants to extend to each one of us, what have we talked about the last few weeks? We settle for something less. We settle for something quick. We settle for relief, right? Instead of real, instead of real joy, we want things to happen in an instant. And uh, what will happen is we miss out on the process. There's a process of how our Savior wants to change us and, and grow us and, and, and teach us what real satisfaction, satisfaction and what real joy actually looks like. But we become the kings and queens of quick, right? We want food quick. We want to shop quick. Uh, we, we, want, we want everything to happen quickly. And when it doesn't, uh, we think, well, there must not be a God that's, that's actually good. We talked a lot about this in 1 Peter, but biblical joy is this deep-seated, soul-deep type joy, knowing that God is good, knowing that He loves me, knowing that He cares for me, no matter what circumstance comes my way. I put it up on the screen, a great definition of joy I came across. It's complete satisfaction that carries the day, no matter what the circumstance it's complete satisfaction uh, it's complete satisfaction that carries the day, no matter what the circumstance. Complete satisfaction. That's a pretty big promise. When was the last time with anything, you've been just completely, completely satisfied, right? That's what our Savior has come to bring us. And satisfaction is not in stuff. Satisfaction is found in him. Some days, joy will look like patience. When you're driving down the road and you're late for something and you need somebody to get out of the way because you need to get there, right? Instead of getting angry, sharing some words with them, joy will win. This fruit of the Spirit, joy, this deep seated joy inside of you. Joy can look like generosity. The Bible's very clear that it says it's more blessed to give, right, than receive. There's something special at Christmas time to give something to someone that is in need and they really need it, right? And you give it to them and, and, and just put a smile on their face and change their day. I'm so proud of this church. John mentioned it earlier. Over 50 Angel Tree uh, children are being sponsored. 50 plus. Uh, over 215 Target Dayton boxes. And I was doing some rough math on it this, this last week. And it's over $15,000. Over, fi- I would say it's way more than that. It's $14,000 just with Target Dayton boxes. Well over $15,000 that this church has given as given because you are radically generous. That's what joy looks like. To give to other people. Joy is laughter. If there's one group of people that takes themselves way too seriously, I would argue it's Christian sometimes. That there's laughter. There's joy in laughter, right? There, laughter is medicine for the soul. That we take ourselves way too seriously sometimes. To lighten up, right? To put a smile on your face. That this joy that our Savior has given us, let it radiate from who, from who you are. We have an opportunity for Laugh All Night. That's why we do it each year. That's coming up uh, in in January, the end of January. It'll be Andy Stanley's son and Charles Stanley's grandson, Andrew Stanley. But laughter is good for our soul, and it's coming soon. Another close friend of joy is love. That when you would rather do something for someone else than just yourself, it pauses and says, no, I'm going to go serve them. It's not convenient. It's not the right time, but I'm going to go. Take the focus off me and put the focus on someone else. And the stories I hear from this church are unbelievable. That joy looks a lot like love. Joy, what it'll do is it'll allow you to grieve with hope, right? Because you know, you know that there's hope for a better future than, than this. So you can go through, as we prayed earlier, and, and grieve during this season that, uh, that there's hope for a better future. Joy is the thing that rescues us from our own mind when we're lonely and depressed. Joy is what we experience in in difficulties where we can just, you want to stop and you want to quit, but you just keep going, right? Because there's there's joy that's soul deep, that's deep-seated inside of you. It's saying, I'm believing in complete satisfaction, that it's going to carry the day no matter what comes my way. Church with a room this size, um, no matter how big or how small it is, uh, I have to believe that there's some in here that joy is lacking. If you were to ask to give a scale one to ten, there'd be a lot of fours, fives, sixes, and sevens. And we ask the question today is, is why is that? Shouldn't the church, shouldn't Christians be the most joy filled people? I'm not talking about walking around with this fake, pseudo, phony smile but just this deep-seated, real joy. Shouldn't people experience it the most here at the church? Or when they're around you, they look at you and say, man, there's just something. What, what is this joy? And where does it come from? Because I want some of it, right? I think the church and being around Christ followers should be the place people experience it the most. It's not a discipline. It's not like you choose to eat, you choose to wake up in the morning. But it's who you choose And it's your Savior Jesus Christ. The two of you chosen to put your hope in. And by choosing our Savior Jesus Christ, we can experience. Doesn't mean life's all gonna be easy. Doesn't mean we're gonna have horrific circumstances come our way. But in the midst of it, we have joy because joy's not in that circumstance. Joy is in our Savior. Here's the question we have to ask If this offer of complete satisfaction is on the table, then what are the things? that get in the way, right? What are those things that are robbing us daily of joy? And I could just name a few. Probably busyness. Probably unforgiveness. Maybe regret from something in the past that you just keep clinging to and holding on to. Maybe it's the thing that you run to for relief. It doesn't satisfy, but you keep going back to it, and then you find relief, and it's not good enough, and you go back again. Those things that rob us of experiencing true, real, biblical joy. And I think the number one thing, that gap between us and experiencing real joy, is, is sin, often. Sin is the thing that, that gets in the way. Anger, resentment, being irritable all the time, dishonest, unfaithful, that sin can lead us to a lack of joy in our life. But here's what the Christmas story tells us. The Christmas story tells us, I've got a remedy We have a Savior that has come to bring good news that will cause great joy for all the people. We serve a God that went to great lengths so that we could experience this deep-seated, soul-deep joy in our lives. Church, that is the offer that's on the table for you and for me today. I want to close with... A couple quotes that are just, I think they're powerful when it comes to the idea of joy. Mother Teresa said this. Joy is prayer. Joy is strength. Joy is love. Joy is a net of love by which you, can't catch, you can catch souls. Joy radiates is what it tells me. God loves a cheerful giver. She gives most who gives with joy. The best way to show our gratitude to God and to the people is to accept everything with joy. And that's easier said than done. A joyful heart is the inevitable result of a heart burning with love. Never let anything, Mother Teresa says, so fill you with sorrow as to make you forget the joy of the Christ that is risen. Max Lucado says, I choose joy. I will invite my God to be the God of circumstance. I will refuse the temptation to be cynical. Isn't it easy just to get small and be cynical? The tool of the lazy thinker. I like that. The cynic is the tool of the lazy thinker. I will refuse to see people as anything less than human beings created by God. I will refuse to see any problem as anything less than an opportunity to see God, you run into difficulty. God, where are you in this? What are you teaching me? Where are you growing me? And D, uh, Daniel Ethan Harris, an author, I close with this one. I can look back at the way I have celebrated Christmas in the past, and while things have been fun, this year I'm less interested in more of the same and more interested in cultivating joy. A pervasive sense of well-being. Because the fact that the Lord has come and He indeed does rule the world with truth and grace. That's the offer on the table for us today. What would it look like for these next couple weeks as we navigate through the holiday season Uh, to pray that you'd be filled with joy. That joy would radiate from you because of the hope that you have in a Savior that is so good. And so worthy. Let me pray. Father thank you for your word. Thank you for this message that's good news of great joy. And you didn't limit who it's for. But you said it's for all people. So what that tells me is anyone we walk by this afternoon. Whether it be at a restaurant or Kroger or this week at work. Or wherever we may be. That any human being we see. They are a candidate for this message of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is for all, it is for all people. God, we love you today. And may we be a people, may we be a church, that when those outside of these walls step in here or they're around us in any environment, that they would experience a joy unspeakable because that space is full of your glory and full of your presence. God, we love you today, and we pray that you would use this offering that we're about to take up. Because in the Bible, you talk about, you love a cheerful giver. I'd like to say you love a giver that's full of joy. So God, we give today joyfully. And we pray that we would use it to change lives. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.